Well, I thank you, David, for uh, joining me today to talk about your new film coming out. Uh, it's May 7th. Is it coming out on? May 9th. Uh, May 9th. Excuse me. May 9th. Reviews are May 7th. That's right. May 9th. And it's called Curse of the Wolf Mountain or uh, Curse of Wolf Mountain. Uh, and yeah, uh, very excited uh, to for people to see this. I happen to just watch the screener. I finished watching it. I uh, can't release my review yet but a little bit of spoiler i enjoyed it so uh yes <laughs> i i dug it uh quite a bit uh so uh why don't you if you could please uh, just give my uh listeners just a, a brief synopsis basically in your words what uh wolf mountain's about yeah um so basically kelly price who also wrote the film plays the lead uh aj who's my brother in the film i'm also in the film uh and he's been having these recurring nightmares, um, dreams that he realizes are memories of this event that happened when he was a little boy, just a child, and his parents had taken him up to Wolf Mountain. Um, and a terrible accident had happened. Um, they had fallen off the cliff to their death. And so that's kind of all he remembers, more so from people having told him what happened. But all of a sudden, these memories are coming back in the form of dreams, uh, and they're very scattered and difficult for him to place together. But there's a legend of Wolf Mountain that there is a wolf man who uh, scours the woods and on full moons, he comes out and kills people. So, uh, of course, it's only a legend. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but what the psychiatrist who's brilliantly played by Tobin Bell whom uh, many of you in the horror world must be fans of. Um, he tells him, if you really want to crack these visions, these memories you're having, um, you need to go back to where it happened and that can trigger the full thing, the full memory. But beware, um, it's dangerous. And um, and so AJ takes the, uh, the advice of a psychiatrist who still cautions him that it's dangerous and he goes up to the mountain with his wife however the brother also tags along as does the brother's wife played by fernanda romero who's beautiful and talented and fantastic in this film and uh, kelly's wife uh, or aj's wife the character aj is played by chrysalee staples she's also fantastic um and they're accompanied by my sister-in-law which is my wife's sister, played by Malu Trevejo. And so um, if you don't know Malu, uh, she's got a huge following, especially amongst young people or teenagers. Um, she is a definitely a Cuban pop star. I think her song Luna Lena has about 150 million views on YouTube. Wow. And she's got a, almost 37 million followers on her Instagram and TikTok. So <laughs> Definitely, she's somebody people know, and this is going to be her coming out party. This is her feature film debut, so we're very excited um, to to be a part of that with Malu. Uh, so again, she plays my sister-in-law in this, um, and also uh, her boyfriend comes along, and that's the brilliant Matt Reif, who's been in several of my films. Matt is also extremely popular these days. I think he's got two and a half million Instagram followers and a lot of that. 11 and a half million on his TikTok. So people are watching his stand-up comedy. Um, and uh, you can be sure I was exploiting the comic beats everywhere I could. We also have a very funny guy named Dooley, uh, who a lot of people on social media know as well. He's one point was a million on Instagram. I'm not sure where he's at now. But he um, he's almost like a new Chris Tucker to me. I, I feel a lot of that kind of vibe with him. I see him as a potential breakout, mm -hmm. a lot of laughs out of him. And my good friend, Eddie McClintock, who plays cousin Rick. Um, Eddie was with me in Reboot Camp, a comedy I did uh, a few years ago that won several major festivals. And he's good with drama and he's also very good with comedy, Eddie. So you have a lot of very good comedic actors in this movie, which is why you'll see when you see the film and as you have already seen, Mark, I definitely like to hit on the comedy as much as possible. Yeah, I was going to say the comedy uh, surprised me, not in a bad way. It just I was I was surprised at the amount of comedy that was in uh, this film. 
you know, given that it's a horror film in that. So it, it definitely goes from from the horror elements to the uh, comedic ones. And uh, yeah, they, they had me laughing, uh, especially right. especially the the the, <laughs> the wardens. The wardens were were hilarious. Um, well, you know, and when I can, I usually will let the actors improv, especially yeah. when I have guys like Matt Reif who are stand up comics. Um, you'll see that as a as a trend in all my films that I direct. Um, it happened like when we had Deathlink, uh, which was the first movie I directed, uh, which is out now on uh, on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Those who are Prime members, it's free on there. Um, when we did that one, you know, I don't think people, the writers saw it as a, as funny as I did. But <laughs> when that premiere happened, the audience was in hysterics for half the movie. Matt Reif <laughs> is in that one as well, by the way. So. Um, I'm definitely the director who's going to find the comedy. And and I have a new film called Murder at Hollow Creek, mm-hmm. um, which again was labeled an action thriller when I got it. And uh, I turned it into an action comedy and it just won best <laughs> comedy at the Montreal Independent Film Festival. So, you know, nobody thought of it as a comedy. And I said, oh, this is a comedy. And they're sure. like, what? Sure. I'm like, yeah. Uh, and that's what happens when you grow up doing sitcoms like Full House which is how my career started. Uh, you can't really get the comedy out of me. Sure. And, and so because of that, I'm always looking for it. So yeah, I think a lot of laughs in this one. This is just a good throwback to classic horror films. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't we didn't really want to reinvent the wheel. We wanted to just kind of do a throwback to, right. to the, way, the way it used to be. Some fun little practical effects, um, some some good stunts going off a cliff and uh and some good laughs <laughs> yeah, and, and partying my phrasing but my 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 buddy turbed it excellent shitty dummy shot in this Thanks film <laughs> yes, I, take, I take pride in the crappy dummy shot thank you <laughs> he just calls it for any uh dummy shot that shows up in a film but i i when that showed up that had i actually laughed i I fully laughed at that. I was like, that's awesome. That is- I, I love that you get it because that's, you know, that's it where they were like, you know, that doesn't look real. I'm like, I know. It's- <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, it, it, it's great when I do a premiere and, and I'm excited for this one because I have a chance to let the audience in on the joke. Sure. You know, kind of before we go and just let them know, do not take this seriously at all. Right. This is This is about let's have some fun. This mm-hmm. is, again, a throwback to the good cheap horror films that I grew up loving. <laughs> Um, and I, I am one of those guys, a bit of a horror geek, you know, that grew up on these kinds of films. And that's why I've made so many of them already. Like the unwilling, which I wrote, uh, has done very well. And, uh, you know, which I also starred in mm-hmm. along with, you know, Deathlink, the first one I directed and now the curse of Wolf Mountain, <laughs> with Danny Trejo and Tobin Bell. I, I love the fact that you have uh the i one of the you know modern icons tobin bell in this who i mean he's been in it for years we recently in our podcast uh we're talking about malice and we're mm-hmm. watching malice from you know with nicole kidman in it and i'm watching it and all of a sudden i go holy crap that's tobin bell as the janitor in it and you know because he's been around for a long time even though people know him from saw but i love that he was in a kind of a straight man role this time around you know kind of a good guy role was that kind of on purpose to cast him in that or because he might you know uh, because everybody sees him as horror guy so you know honestly uh when i had an opportunity to grab tobin um i just wanted to grab him sure so the only part i had that i could give him was really um the psychiatrist and what i love about it is it bookends the movie it opens the movie (laughs) he opens the movie and he closes the movie really and um you know i I needed that legendary presence um and you know i also i want to speak to the horror fans and it's like the horror fans want to see tobin and they want to see danny and they want to see the gags that we you know that we've touched upon um it sure would have been cool to see Machete and Ajax go at it. Uh, no question. Uh, I think a lot of fans would have been excited to see a showdown between Tobin Bell and Danny Trejo. Sure. But they're also a lot older. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if it's exciting as maybe 10 years ago. Um, but I'll tell you this, Tobin crushed it as the psychiatrist. The, the level of detail he comes in with mm-hmm. 
I mean, that that's kind of what separates the old pros from the from the new regime. I mean, he he like got got to the location and he pulled out this, I don't even know what it was, but a thing full of watches. And he <laughs> laid it out on the bed in his dressing room and he said, Which watch do you think is me? I said, you know, I haven't really put a lot of thought into what watch this character <laughs> wears. I'm like, that one. He goes, perfect choice. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> so um but it's amazing it's like those little details mm -hmm. you know charlie chaplin was not charlie chaplin until he put the wardrobe on he used to say mm -hmm. and um, a lot of actors you know and speaking as an actor as well a lot of actors uh, feel this way um it's like you don't put on a character you you as a uh, at least the technique that i grew up learning the chubbuck technique which is based on stell adler you 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 do your work that's based on you your mm -hmm. life history and then you take on characteristics of a character that you embody from the wardrobe and the props um if there's a physical obstacle like a limp whatever it may be you know it's like uh it's like if you saw gangs in new york uh mm -hmm. which is a brilliant brilliant film daniel day lewis didn't act like a butcher but he right. probably spent two months with those knives you know getting it to a point where the second he pulled that knife out of the, you were like, holy crap, this guy's scary, you know, and he's an expert certainly mm -hmm. with knives because he learned that characteristic mm -hmm. of his character. And that's really something that helps shape and define character. So I learned a lot by working with old timers uh, who have had a great body of work like a Tobin Bell. And it was an amazing experience having him as a director um, to work with. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it had to be uh, both Tobin. You get to work with both Tobin Bell and Danny Trejo, another right. classic uh, actor who, th those are two characters, especially Danny Trejo. When he shows up in a movie, I watch it. it it's like, oh, Danny's in it. I'm going to watch it. Uh, you know, what was what was that like to direct Danny as well? Because, I mean, he's he's been in so much. Uh, so, first off, one of the greatest guys ever. Mm -hmm. um, I've done a couple of movies now with Danny um one recently that we shot last january or january last year called candy flip um which is a big house party movie and um i just i i'll use this guy anytime anywhere I, he's he's just a really good guy and a fascinating story you know someone who could have just gone into the toilet with his life you know prison and things looking extremely bleak and the way he turned it around to not only be a huge actor, but a brand. I mean, between the donuts and the tacos and, you know, Trejo is a brand. Um, so um, the fact that a guy could could be a Mexican-American in jail with, you know, probably hearing a chorus of your life is meaningless, is going nowhere from all the people around him, and somehow digs deep, gets sober, turns his life around, and now is an example to young Mexican-Americans, everywhere who who see him as a not only a legend but somebody to look up to who's turned his life around and made a success from nothing worse than nothing you know from from being a convict to like what are your prospects at that point so uh he is just uh one of those guys who to me is a hero actually mm -hmm. um because he shows you that no matter how bad you think your life is and how much you think it's over it's not over Mm -hmm. uh, you can turn it around and not only turn it around, but turn it around to something bigger than you could have ever dreamed. But it started with getting sober. It started with taking those first steps and saying, I'm going to change my life. And so I find him inspiring. And, uh, and there are millions of people out there who are inspired by him. So forget the fact that he's, he's a great character actor as, as the tough guy and you know, the tattooed, long-haired Mexican-American guy who scares you, you know, aside from him being brilliant in that, in that zone, uh, he's an inspiring human being. So I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I got to work with him not once, but, but twice. Yeah. He, and he looked like he's, he always looks like he's having fun too. I mean, he looks like he's having fun in this role, you know, e eating it up a little bit. I've seen him in good guy roles too. And he, he makes the most of whatever role he's in. So uh, you know, that was fun to see him on screen, but everybody in this film does uh, does well and seem to, as the kids say nowadays, come on, an old fart, understood the assignment with, with your film uh, that you had here because, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody seems to be having fun. 
you shot this out in the woods for this location. How did you choose this location? Yeah. So believe it or not, I shot this movie in eight days, which is one of those. I wish I could have a disclaimer. Don't try this at home. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not something I would ever attempt again, but you have to understand we were just in the midst of coming out of lockdown. We were still kind of in lockdown at this point. We had just gotten out of 2020. We were just starting 2021. The vaccine had not hit yet. We were all like, when's the vaccine coming? Um, so shooting was was scary. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew I had a little window of if I can get the movie done in eight over nine days, right? So I shot two days on, one day off, two days at the house, one day off, six days on the mountain. And, um, and I said, if I can pull that off, I think I can safely get this done without somebody getting sick. And, you know, in those days, um, we were petrified. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one person gets COVID and you're shut down. It's over. You know, the rules were really tight back then. There's no like, oh, send that guy home and keep mm -hmm. shooting. Back then, if somebody gets sick, you should you shut the whole production down. Right. And that would would that would have been death for us. Um, as you know, when you're in these lower budget tiers, you just don't have the ability to make those kinds of pivots. So this was a intentional burden I put on myself sure. uh, in order to make sure we could get the film done safely uh, in terms of no one getting sick. And so, so yes. So what I did was I shot two days at the house um, where you saw the pool party scene and you saw uh, AJ's house with him and his wife in the beginning of the movie, the end of the movie. And, um, and then everything else was on the mountain, the mountain we shot, uh, we shot at Castaic mountains, uh, which is near magic mountain. Uh, okay. which is uh, basically an L.A. suburb. Um, it was all done at Silver Strand Ranch, which is a, a film ranch. Um, but I know the owner, Carlos, quite well. And he's a phenomenal guy who who really helped me out on some of these lower budget films, giving me a break. Um, and then it was Beat the Light. So let me explain what, what we did. So um, I wanted the look of the mountain Mm -hmm. to be different from the rest of the world. Sure. So what you'll notice is this whole movie mostly takes place on a very strange full moon night. Mm -hmm. And so it's weird lighting. It's lit, but it's not lit. Um, and the way I pulled that off, which we didn't really have much choice anyway to try and pull this movie off in February in, in, in this kind of time at the beginning of February is I shot day for night. You did. So okay. if you I was at, wondering about that. I was wondering if you did day for night, it looked like it for most of it. So it, that's right. And mm -hmm. so I said, I want it to look weird on the mountain, sure. but you'll notice every other place that's night is night for night. So sure. even when we're back at the ranger station, it's mm -hmm. night. It's actual lit night for night. When we're back at the house, it's lit night for night. The only place I did this was on the mountain so that we had this idea that something's not right on this mountain. It's like night, but it's not night. It's a weird glow. So I thought it would work really nicely to do day for night shooting also would be easier on this schedule. Uh, and, you know, they've done it on Mad Max. They did it oh, on Florian, yeah. um, you know, to get that uh, Mad Max, that apocalyptic feel. So um, so I thought it would be a good idea. Mm. Uh, it is also very difficult to pull off day for night. And I spent months on that color correction with the colorist. <laughs> so it is not something I think I would want to try again. Uh, but it was a neat idea. And it sure. seemed to make sense at the time. Um, but that's why you'll see the, the lighting's really strange <laughs> and off on on everything that happens during night on the mountain. And, you know, it was intentional. Um, some people may dig it. Some people may not. Hopefully they, more people dig it than yeah. not. Um, but it certainly to me fits the, the tone of the film, which is something's not right on this mountain. There's a supernatural feel, which all plays into the legend of the Wolfman. Yeah, I, no, I noticed it. I figured it was, if anything else, it was budgetary concerns as well. Cause shooting at night, you got to have generators you got, and you're out in the woods and you know that 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 yeah. kind of ups your budget as well so uh that kind of worked twofold for you then you get you well get i mean in fairness we had the lights sure you know you'll see it when you see the the, the night for night mm -hmm. stuff like i said the stuff at the ranger station right. stuff at the house and it didn't change the package it w definitely would have changed time mm -hmm. the amount of setup time um 
So ultimately, and you're right, we shot over a 200 acre ranch in those mountains. So we're constantly moving to different places. And that's a lot to pick up and move lights and right. uh, generators or battery packs or whatever you're using. So there's no question logistically to make this schedule of eight days. I don't know if we would have made it, but um, but there was there was a feeling. And that's, again, a fan of Mad Max and sure. those kinds of films. I, I thought it, it would look really cool day for night on the mountain. And it's funny you mentioned how much you spent on color correction because I think some people think, oh, day for night. Well, that that's easy, right? Then you just make it look, <laughs> it's not. No, 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 <laughs> that is not easy. And in fairness, I think it requires an expert cinematographer in day for night um, because there are some very, so I haven't done it now. I, I, I know certain things I would, I want to, I would want to do over um it's really important that you be completely shaded wherever you're shooting um because once the sun is in the background it really causes a major problem so i was constantly going run to the other move keep moving this way <laughs> this way get away from the sun and we tried our best to get ahead of the sun which is constantly moving of course sure. in where it's hitting the mountain uh and and again i had 200 acres to run around but um you know, that we didn't always get out of where the sun was hitting in the background mm -hmm. in time. Um, and so, you know, I spent a lot of time on this post-production. Again, we shot it and wrapped in May, in February of 2021. And uh, it took all this time to, to really fix the color and the effects and all the little things that we do in post to get it right. Um, so, you know, it's funny, uh, if you have, if I had more days to shoot, and um and had less things to clean up and post it would have been a much quicker post so i know a lot of times you know you think oh i'll shoot less days but you're going to pay for it in post-production so we you know the movie's got to be right at the end of the day and and i spent a lot of time on the post-production side to get it right yeah and uh speaking of uh production your your gore gimmicks and your your blood gimmicks and such that you put in here look really good the makeup effects in that and they're uh, you don't use have a whole lot, but you have more than I thought. And all practical, thank you. Or at least they looked practical. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this you was know. one of those movies where I wanted to lean away from the VFX. Mm -hmm. You know, Deathlink, I had a lot more VFX blood and stuff like that happening. In this one, I wanted to go right back to the classic um, stunts, mm -hmm. you know, and the classic kind of kills that we used to have where we'd actually have a blade come to your right. stomach and then another part of the blade sticking out of your back and we'd build these rigs practically and i have to give my hats off to the samuel brothers greg and jeff samuels who did a crazy double duty of stunts and props um in order to 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 make these kills work properly so they built these rigs and they did the stunts and coordinated and a lot of the times in the wolfman suit um i have the stunt guy uh, which was great because as being the director who was also in the film, uh, anytime I could have somebody subbing in for me was great. Uh, not to give anything away here. Uh, but anyway, the stunt guys were phenomenal. And what I did was one of my techniques in shooting all the, you know, I've made 15 mm -hmm. movies since COVID broke. And uh, one of the ways I've been able to pull this off with these shorter shoots is I roll two cameras at all times. Mm, so okay. if I'm on one camera on the a set of filming the actors mm -hmm. uh i give the b cam to the stunt guys and i let them go shoot a stunt piece oh okay. right so sure so they'll knock mm -hmm. off all the little details of the stunt and then it'll come back to me to to get all the hero shots and the performance um and by splitting so i could be shooting one thing well on this side of the mountain while they're shooting over here um we're constantly making up so even though it's eight days if I'm shooting two cameras for eight days, in a sense, mm -hmm. I could be shooting 16 days. Yeah. You know, you think of it like that. So uh, it's not an exact science like that, but I definitely <laughs> made up a lot of days by constantly rolling those two cameras. And and when you do that, you just have to have a lot of trust in your, your uh, for lack of a better term, your B team to to do that for you, right? A hundred percent. You know, on normally the, the way I make the system work is I'm the guy, I'm producing the film and then I'm- sure directing the B unit and they know they have a real director directing the B unit with me. Uh, when I'm the director, 
I, I can't clone myself, unfortunately. I've tried, <laughs> but I do trust stunts when when you have a very good stunt coordinator like mm-hmm. like Greg and Jeff, um, or the other ones I've worked with. Um, you know that they know their angles. They know exactly the pieces of shots they need to sell to sell the stunts, uh, and they know what they're doing. So you 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 want to hand it over to stunts to a certain extent anytime you're shooting stunts, uh, and then you keep popping in to make sure the close ups on the face you're getting what you need. Um, and every now and then, when I'm watching a stunt happen, if I feel like I, I need another piece, I'll tell them. But generally speaking, I let them run the stunts. So that's the perfect time to split units. Yeah, and and uh, that's just that works very well. I mean, people when you you know you're on these indie shoots and and doing these short shoots, uh, everybody kind of does everything, right? <laughs> you you don't yeah. have you don't have a whole lot of people, at least for your crew, to where you say, "Well, this is my only job, and that's all I'm going to do." Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to wear a lot of hats. There's no yeah. question. Speaking of wearing a lot of hats, uh, how much of a challenge is that to be? Uh, directing and acting uh in, in the film uh, especially i mean you got the gimmicks you got everything going on and you're producing as well i mean what wh- how do you juggle all that i don't know <laughs> it's 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 really hard to answer that question sure, sure. legitimately because it sounds so crazy and mm-hmm. it's hard enough just doing one of these jobs sure. um All I can tell you is I get into a zone Mm -hmm. where it's almost easier if I'm doing a few things because it's too hard to move this quickly and bring up everybody who needs to be brought up to speed. So if I can just give you like 20 seconds on how this movie went, it's like this. Okay, you guys run here. You two run your lines over there. You're on the wrong set. Where's wardrobe? I need a prop over here. You should be rehearsing this. Where's the light over here? And roll. (laughs) And it's just like people are running around and just like going, wait, what's happening? And then cut. Fantastic. We got it in one take. How am I doing on time? You're 20 minutes behind. (laughs) Could I be 20 minutes behind? I can't. Not possible to go faster. And like, yeah, well, you said you were going to shoot it in eight days. So, um, You know, just if you want to do the math, uh, just just so you can do quick math, page page counts normally, let's say 90 pages, Mm -hmm. um, usually between 90 and 100 on these films. But let's just call it 90 on this one. Um, If I got a whopping 10 days, that would be nine pages a day, which is already crazy in the movie business. Unfortunately, I only had eight days just to give you an idea. So you're in double digit pages every single day and nobody ever wants to see a double digit page count. Um, So that just tells you what we dealt with. But yes, it's just like, I'm in the zone. You have to super prep. So you really know everything that's happening. Uh, And you know that nobody else is going to be able to follow as quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the way it is, you know, because you're the one who has got it all in your head as the director. Um, and and so it's almost easier for me. I know I'm going to nail my monologue and my character does have like a five page monologue at one point. I know I'm going to nail it in one take. Mm-hmm. Um, I have actors that sometimes have 10 lines and they're having trouble. <laughs> and sure. so- you know, it, it's it's important that that I know these these pieces are covered if I'm going to make these days. So sometimes it just helps to know I'm knocking off a character I know I can kill. I'm knocking off the directing portion. And because I'm the producer, I'm in more control of what's happening. And I don't need anybody in my ear telling me what to do. Um, I'll be the most pragmatic of anybody. So uh it's it's like one less ego to manage with by by being the director it's one less actor to worry about um and i am the producer so it's it it sounds crazy but it in this kind of situation it's actually an advantage for me does it also help the fact that you are also an actor and a director that you uh to help direct the actors (laughs) you're directing so to speak the fact that you are also an actor uh, does that help give you with perspective Oh, it's a huge advantage for me as a director. I mean, I used to teach acting at the Chubbuck School. So um, if I see an actor struggling, I know exactly how to get him or her back on track. I know the same way 
uh, I would do it with uh, with a student back in the day. Um, so that's a tremendous advantage to make sure I get good performances. But I'm also, as an experienced actor, I know what actors want and don't want. Um, I know not to micromanage them in certain ways. I know not to get them in their heads. I know to do as little as possible um, to let them organically get there um, and only step in if I have to and hire good actors, <laughs> sure. you know, which <laughs> yeah. I already know how to identify. I'll steal that one from Hitchcock. We'll mm -hmm. just hire good actors and let them do their thing. Um, that's really at the end of the day, what it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes actors, some actors need a little more attention than others. And I'm pretty good at identifying that. And you've got to toe that line between, you know, giving them as much as you can without, sure. you know, giving too much time there when you need to worry about the film as a whole. Um, so all of this gives me good perspective and helps me in the job. No question. And also the fact that it, it, you've worked with a lot of these folks before, I imagine. So you have, you know, you're at least not a new face. They, they're, they're familiar with you when, when you're working with them. Uh, yes. First off, I, I hire a lot of the same people in movie after movie. So let's start with Kelly Price, who wrote this and uh, stars in it. He was in my film reboot camp. Uh, he approached me. Uh, in the middle of COVID saying, listen, I'm ready to blow my brains out here. Like nothing's going on. Nobody's shooting. Let's go make something. And I want to write something. And I said, you write it. I will give you notes. I will help you with the script, which I did a lot. And I said, we will get it there and we will go shoot this. And then I called a few other buddies and I said, hey, you want to go shoot a movie in the woods? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's just, I go, okay, who are my go-tos in cast that I want to call? You know, and, and Kelly... Uh, I believe called Fernanda uh, Malu uh, got referred to me by somebody uh, and uh, I'm really excited about this, this whole coming out event for, for Malu as an actress. Um, uh, Eddie McClintock is a good buddy of mine. He was also in reboot camp and several other of my films like just swipe, um, which is on Pluto now and other platforms. Um, and then, you know, I called up Gloria, uh, Trejo's manager. I said, when's he free? I got him. And uh, Matt Reif, you know, who sure. I love. I've been saying <laughs> this kid's a star for years. Sure. Uh, when I when I cast him in Deathlink in the beginning of 2020. And um, and now now he's becoming a big star. So I'm really excited, you know, to to still have him in, in my films. And, you know, Matt says he'll he'll always do my films. Let's see. <laughs> um, so far he's been really cool and, uh, and, and, and it makes my job easy. And, and when we talk about, you know, how does it come into play when I'm working with these actors? Um, not a lot of directors give actors room to improv, mm -hmm. uh, but when I have guys like this, I do. And so I, I tried a bunch of different little improv bits between Dooley and Eddie McClintock and Matt Reif. Mm -hmm. And we came up with bits, uh, which we do in comedy on the ground. Right. Uh, you know, Mike Short, Martin Short's brother, who mm -hmm. was one of the head writers on Schitt's Creek for all the seasons and, and many other shows like the Jiminy Glick show. Um, you know, he told me I never fully crack the writing until I know who I have. Mm -hmm. um, and so once he cast people in Schitt's Creek, that's when he knew where it was going to go. Sure. Um, and so I do the same kind of thing, even though we have a set script and it's a feature and it's not a sitcom. Um, when I see what I have in casting, that's when I know I'm going to let them do a little improv and see where it can go. Um, because if I have good comedic talent, I want to take advantage of it. And it gives them a little bit creatively to flex a bit, I'm sure, and to get into the character a little bit more rather than someone rigidly saying, no, you're going to do it like this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they, they appreciate that. And that's why they sure. keep coming back to work with me too. So, so was making movies your initial intent all along? Cause uh, I mean, you're an actor. Uh, you, it seems like you started out acting. Uh, did you always want to make and, and produce films and direct them? Uh, I mean, I've always known I was an actor. Sure. Um, in fact, in my youth, I also sang, I was a musical theater guy and got a degree in musical theater, if you can believe that, um, which served me well when I was on Full House. And I not only played DJ's boyfriend, but I got to play in the band with John sure. Stamos and play and sing. So definitely uh, that's that's been my focus since I'm a, a, a child. Uh, mm -hmm. I knew I was meant to perform. Um, how and when that evolved into the other aspects of filmmaking 
that was a natural progression as I aged. Um, sure. You know, I played 15, 16, 17, 18 for a long time. I think I was 30 when they offered me the, or not quite 30, but late 20s, when they offered me the Texas Cadet Murders movie, uh, NBC, and that was a straight offer. And I thought, oh God, I'm going to get to set and they're going to say, this kid can't play 17. Um, <laughs> But I did. And um, and so it, it was a very tough transition from playing high school year after year after year after year to all of a sudden, oh, you're a leading man, you're a dad, right. you're this. And so I always had this in my head that I I better I better be smart and get ahead of other things I can do in this business for when that day comes that I'm not so cute anymore. <laughs> and now I'm an old guy. Yeah. And so I, I had enough foresight to know that would happen. And the funny thing is really the writing uh, part of it happened by accident. I was on location in Toronto mm -hmm. and the movie never happened um, mm -hmm. that I was supposed to be the lead in, but I got flown out and put up and, I'm sitting around doing absolutely nothing. So I read Robert McKee's book on writing called mm -hmm. Story, by the way. And I had this idea in my head, which is pretty funny. It's I just one day was going, hey, you know, those Dear Santa letters that all these people write, where do they go? Mm -hmm. Right. You write it, you put it in the mailbox. Well, what happens? Right. And I called the post office and they go, well, you know, anything with an address goes to an address. And I'm like, hmm, what if there's a North Pole Road? somewhere yeah like in canada and the mail goes there and what if there's a guy named sam klaus who lives there <laughs> s claus and anyway so i created this movie called uh, a christmas letter and that premieres mm -hmm. uh on uh on up tv this coming uh holiday season mm -hmm. but but that script i wrote years ago it got sure. optioned it fell out it got optioned fell out and all of a sudden i was writing and somebody bought it and I'm like, oh, I can write. And and then, you know, with The Unwilling, uh, which was a horror movie, um, I sat down and wrote it with a buddy and he's, he directed it. I started in it and I'm like, oh, okay, I can write. And wait a minute, we need help on the producing sides. I'll produce too. Um, <laughs> and then it was like, oh, you're pretty good at producing. Hey, we have this movie called Reboot Camp. We want you to star in. Would you mind helping us produce it? Sure. And and now mm -hmm. I've produced two films and then it's like, Hey, we have, uh, do you want to write this thing? Uh, sure. Um, <laughs> and would you produce it? Sure. And Hey, would you mind starring in it too? Okay. And uh, that's what happened. And the next thing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, my friend, Bobby Daly, um, and if the name sounds familiar, it's because his dad, Bob Daly senior was the chairman and CEO of Warner brothers from oh, yeah. 1980 to 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, also used to own the Dodgers, a pretty prominent family here in LA. Uh, he said, let's partner up. And I was like, what? Me? <laughs> right. You mean like, go, go call, you know, Arnie you're Milch or something. You're, like, you're yeah. looking, wait, this guy? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he said, no, no, no. Um, I want to, I want to do this with you. Sure. I like, I like you and I like how you're doing this. And, uh, you've managed to make all these movies on time, on budget and terrible, crazy conditions. Uh, like the Curse of Wolf Mountain. And then we formed this company, Latigo Films, about a year and a half ago. And we made six movies last year. Nice. In our, in our first year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was a little crazy. Um, and I put definitely put the brakes on this year as now we're dealing with all the sales and distribution and mm -hmm. premieres. You know, we had a premiere last month for, for Hunk Club. And now uh, we have a premiere this month for... Um, for the curse of wolf mountain or or at the beginning of april we had hunt club and now the beginning of may for uh wolf mountain and um it, it's been a, a fun ride you know who knew i was going to turn into this producer director writer when i'm really just an actor um and that's that's how it happened so i, I wish i could tell you was this was part of some devious master plan uh but it really just happened and it shows you going back to Trejo for a second, you know, anything's possible if you yeah. just keep yourself healthy, aware, out of away from the drug scene and the partying and all the nonsense that distracts so many people here. You know, I don't drink. I don't do any of this stuff. I, I work. That's it. You know, I finish my day and I work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I go back, uh, even if I shoot for 12 hours, I come home and I'm working until I'm back on set. Um, I love what I do. I love every piece of filmmaking. I'm a real film nerd. Like I said, I love these old horror films. Um, I love making them. I love watching them. I love shooting them. I love acting in them. I love directing them. I love writing <laughs> them. You know, if you ask me which one I think I'm best at, I think I'm probably I'd say acting simply because it's what I've done the longest. And, you know, I think in the right, especially the right characters um, that are kind of my go-tos, I I know I'm going to be pretty good on those. Uh, But maybe producing is the best thing I do because producing encompasses all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, what makes a good producer is somebody who understands every job because you really control the whole production. Think of it as a factory, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you could run a factory, but if you don't know how they um, knit the toe of the sock or spool the yarn to make the base of the sock, how are you going to know if these guys are doing a good job or a bad job? And so for me, I'm sorry, I'm using a a knitting, I don't know why, knitting metaphor. It's a very strange (laughs) metaphor, Uh, except uh, I come from a hosiery uh, father of manufacturing sure. uh, family. So that's why I picked that one. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> it like, works. It works. About socks? That's very it works. <laughs> um, but the point is you, I understand every job, Sure, every single job on that movie I've done in some capacity because I've done these lower budget films where you have to wear 20 hats. I've picked up the furniture and moved it. I've laid down track for the dolly. I've plugged in lights. I've stuck tarps on sets in the rain. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I, I, I'm i in bigger movies now, of course, since sure. this company, our budgets are getting into the several millions. And um, I was I was on the Western uh, we just shot uh, with Tom Hopper and Heather Graham called Place of Bones, which is in post-production now. Mm. And the we had rain. Oh, God, did we have rain in L.A. this year? And we shot in L.A., uh, same ranch uh, <laughs> as, as Wolf Mountain. And... Um, and uh, that saved me because he did me a solid with all the extra days. We had to leave our stuff there with the rain. But um, you can't imagine, by the way, logistically, we had to bring in 30 tons of gravel rock Ooh. and lay it down on the ground because cars were sinking in the mud. That's <laughs> LA is not built for rain. So sure. if we get rain, it it, it turns into a, a giant disaster. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me to anyway, so day one, because of the rain, whatever the art department had left a pile of garbage in the middle of the basically between the house and the barn in the middle Mm -hmm. of our set. And it's 5am. And the first shots got to get off at six, I put on a pair of gloves and started grabbing the garbage, you know, and hauling it over to the um, to the truck. And the other producer said, What are you doing? You're a producer? Why? You do these things. I said, my job is to get the shot off at 6 a.m. I'm going to get the shot off at 6 a.m. <laughs> and if you don't want to help, then go sit sit over there and shut the hell up because I'm going to carry this stuff and I'm going to make sure, sure we get the shot off. That's the job. You right. know, the job is whatever it takes to get the movie done on time, on budget. That's producing. And because I know all the creative positions, there's really no position I can't jump into as a utility player, especially an actor. And by the way, my last four films... I was not supposed to be acting in. <laughs> I, I acted in my last four films yeah. that I made here a lot ago because somebody got sick. Mm. They came down with COVID and I had to jump in and take his place. And that is another valuable off the bench. If, you, if you're a baseball fan, that sure. is another valuable bench player aspect to what I am. I have a lot of utility guys that I hire on all my films um, and what I mean by that is, so not on this film, mm-hmm. nobody got sick on Wolf Mountain, but on, let's say, Joe Baby, um, which is a film I shot in uh, June of last year with Harvey Keitel and Ron Perlman and Deshaun Lockman, Willa Fitzgerald, three camera department essentials got sick one morning i woke up i got to the set and i the covid lady was like come with me both of your first acs both camera so those are the people that pulled the focus yeah both of them covid and one of the second acs 
And I said, nobody, nobody say a word, keep walking, come with me, put a mask on, you need to go home. All right, got them out. <laughs> now what do I do? So I always make sure I have another person on my crew that also can pull focus, that yeah. also mm -hmm. can double as an operator, my gaffer, my key grip. They have a bunch of these skills on their resumes. I always make sure I have backup just in case this happens. And um, and but nobody can fulfill more of those parts off the bench than me. And so that's kind of where I become a really good producer, especially in COVID times. Mm -hmm. You know, we've never experienced anything like this in the movie business or in any business. I mean, right. everyone's yeah. it, right across all vocations. Mm -hmm. um, but this is what really probably makes me a valuable producer during these times is is we never lost a day of shooting nice. on these things because I'll just jump in and do what I have to do. Nice. Well, uh, I mean, it works out well. Uh, you know, I, I saw you in Hunt Club. Actually, I in, uh, interviewed oh. I interviewed Elizabeth Blake Thomas uh, a few mm. weeks ago about Hunt Club. And that was very interesting. She had some uh, interesting insight on that. And to go right from that to uh making this i mean that has to be it just keeps you going uh you know but uh i like i i i remember your part in that one too <laughs> that was an interesting film uh I, and I, I wrote that, that one so that one you know that was easy dialogue for me as i knew i was going to play that part sure uh, so i really wrote it up to my strengths as an actor yeah uh, and so i mean it's it sounds like you really got a lot of balls rolling on this and uh with uh, Curse of Wolf Mountain, yeah, it. I will say it took me a little while to get the gist. I'm like, and then when I when you get into it, because with your opening, you have a little bit more of a serious opening with Wolf Mountain, and then you get into Tobin Bell, and then once you get to the woods, I'm like, I get where you're going with this now, <laughs> you know. Uh, but with the humor in that, it, it, you, you kind of ease into it. But I I kind of like that, uh, and you have the humor at the right moments. Uh, you know, do you plan that out? Uh, kind of like, okay, we had the horror movement. Now we we're going to ease it, you know, lighten it up a little bit with the humor. Did you did you plan that out a little bit? That's a great question. And I'm really happy that you noticed that. So it's completely intentional. And I'll explain to you why. Um, first off, my editor who edits all the films that I direct is George Fulzi Jr. Um, George was John Landis's editor. So this is the guy who did Animal House, Blues Brothers, Coming to America, Trading Places, American Werewolf in London. Um, hot tub time machine the twilight zone <laughs> sure. uh, anyway so he he's a legend if you think about those old john landis movies um they got very serious in the setup and there's you know mm -hmm. even some violence and some killings and um real stuff for us to connect emotionally and then we had a lot of fun uh getting into i mean even beverly hills cop if you think mm -hmm. back to movies yeah. like that right oh it was very serious you know, with what happened to Axel, and then it turns into this big comedy. So um, I kind of took a page from that. These are huge influences on me. I mean, the fact that I got to work with uh, one of my all-time heroes, George Fulzi Jr., I can't even tell you. I grew up on Blues Brothers and Animal yeah. House, and this is like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> um, and uh, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting next to him uh, editing these movies. It's it's sure. just uh, such a thrill. I can't tell you. But um, so so that's intentional. So I need to make sure the audience emotionally connects to the hero of the movie and the pain he's gone through and mm -hmm. whatever it is that inciting incident that triggers the, the entire events of the movie. Um, and then once we get into the movie, then especially again with this metaphor that things aren't quite right on this mountain, you know, so the more serious stuff is happening at the house. And then when we get to the mountain, we get much more into the fun, campy off reality with that lighting <laughs> uh, world, you know, it's almost like a different world on the mountain. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and that's kind of part of legends, you know, legends are of another world. Um, and uh, I don't know, just all, all kind of work for me so yes so that's extremely intentional you'll see it in death link you'll see it in with its opens on this flashback of this kid being humiliated and tortured and it's a it's a it's a it's a tough opening and um and same thing here with with aj having these flashback memories of what happened on the mountain with his mom and dad um and then you'll see that even in murder of hollow creek which is going to be my next film uh coming out soon we were just we just finished the post-production on it um, and there's a the, these kids the movie opens up where 
where um, these kids lose their father who's shot uh, by Mickey Rourke and, and his henchmen uh, in the opening. But then it turns into this full-blown comedy where you can't really take Mickey and these people <laughs> serious, you know? And again, that was one of the things where it was like, he's like, it's an action thriller. And I'm like, no, it's an action comedy. It's like, action what? comedy. what do you mean? I'm like, look, it's Mickey Rourke putting on a Serbian accent and wearing leather <laughs> yeah. pants. I mean, come on, man. This is, we got to have fun with this or, uh, you know, I don't know what to do with it otherwise. And, um, and we do, we have a lot of fun sure. with that movie. Yeah. No, you mentioned that, uh, Beverly Hills cop, um, and that's got want to be one of the more brutal, impactful, like kill scenes in the hallway. You know, I mean, you you have that. I watch it to this when I watch to this day that that scene, you're just like, is so heavy and so brutal. There's no music or anything. There's just the pop. You're like, wait, this is Eddie Murphy and a comedy and the trailer. And yet you have this heavy kill and then it lightens up. Uh, but I always remember that that kill stuck with me. I've watched a lot of horror films and that and the way they handle that and the fact that it's like a long shot down the hall, too. So you're not even close up to it. Uh, you know, that just. Yeah. So it's uh, it's an interesting uh, approach. I'm right on the money with you on that. And you'll see that also in Deathlink. Sure. Uh, you know, which is I get it. You know, that opening, then we get into a lot of fun with these kids. <laughs> But then a really scary event happens sure. where it's like, oh, wait, uh, hold on. This is scary. <laughs> this is scary now. And then it's back to campy fun. So, um, yeah, I'd like to mix it up like that. I like to keep the audience on their toes. Um, but at the end of the day, I try not to take myself too seriously and sure. say, you know, let me let me follow proper structure and let me have fun with it. And let me just make sure the audience has a good time. And uh, I, I don't want to keep you too long. You're a very busy man. Uh, but uh, I guess uh, one of my final questions would be, uh, what did, what would, what film, what's one of your favorite horror films or would you say is one of your most influential horror films on you? Oh, man. Uh, again, I'm such a lover of the genre. So I've watched so many of these films and so many of them have sure. um, pieces that I love. Like on Hunt Club, I was really inspired by Spit on Your Grave mm -hmm. um, as, as a template for a good revenge movie. You'll see a lot of that in that movie um, and some of the scenes I wrote. Um, I think with Deathlink, I was more influenced by movies like Scream. Oh, sure. Obviously, which were huge parts of the genre for me in the, in the 90s uh, and early 2000s. Um, but for Wolf Mountain, I kind of took like pieces of all these classic straight um, going back to even going back to Halloween, you sure, know, sure. it's it's like, you know, coming at you if you if you you know the scene I'm talking yep. about mm -hmm. is coming at you with yeah. the knife, and it's like, what is everyone in slow motion right now? Like, <laughs> but you know, you want to get this shot, then you want to get this shot, and then uh, and and it's just like. You know, we can't take it too seriously. And it's just like, we want to be able to cheer on these moments mm -hmm. uh, and have fun with them. So, yeah, so definitely Halloween, Friday the 13th were big influences as, as the big ones in those days. Uh, and then smaller movies um, that that became big, like like I Spit on Your Grave. Um, Man, that, that, that was a tough watch. It's like, uh, you don't recreationally watch I Spit on Your Grave, really. No, no, that is definitely, I mean, yeah, when we start bringing in rape and all that, it's it's tough. And I, you know, it was scary when I dealt with it in in um, Hun Club, you know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of people said, don't, don't do it. And I was like, you know, is it too much? Do I take it out? Do I put it back in? I mean, it it's so hard today. See, here's the thing. Back in those days, there was oh, no concern. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like, Am I going to offend somebody? Mm. Am I going to get canceled? <laughs> is, it, is it like, and 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 you don't even know what I went through on Hunt Club with certain distributors that originally were mm. like, we're going to give you a ton of money for this movie. And then they're like, no, we're too scared. You know, and it's usually older white guys like me sure. um, who are scared. Uh, I'm the only lunatic, I guess, who's not <laughs> as scared. Um, but but it's it, it's it's scary. Uh, it, that's the real horror movie in our mm -hmm. in our time right now as filmmakers is people are petrified of offending somebody sure. and that is death for comedy mm -hmm. because comedy is all about testing the line you know if the right. line is here 
I want to get as close to that line and I'm only going to find the line by, by getting over the line, sure. right? You have to cross the line if you're a true comic to find out where to come back to. Mm -hmm. If you never push past the line, then you'll never get to those places that make you a great comic. So coming from that world, growing up on sitcoms and, and comedies, uh, you know, with people who really, you know, my biggest mentors uh, of, of comedy were people like Richard Pryor, you mm -hmm. know, who really pushed the envelope, uh, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, yeah, really pushed the envelope. Um, and you know, those, those comedy routines came out and we were like, wow, this is the funniest thing ever. Can you imagine today? No. Some of those acts? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think, you, I, I don't think Don Rickles could no. do his today without being canceled. I, I, I remember, I remember watching uh, the first televised uh, it was on the Rodney Dangerfield special. They had Andrew Dice Clay. It was the first time I saw Andrew Dice Clay and you're laughing, but at the same time, like, Oh, and now I think back to Andrew Dice Clay's routines and I'm like, Oh, that he would have had the one special and that was it. He'd be, he'd be I'll, I'll tell you, it's the one beauty of being an independent film guy. Yeah. I don't have to worry about the studio or the network. Sure. Or, uh, I, I mean, I have to worry about selling the film after I make it, but um, mostly I can let the audience choose and mm -hmm. I'm always going to find a way to get it out there for people to see it uh, and then let the people decide if they want to see it or not. And um, maybe we have to be a little less scared and a little braver uh, in, in, in not caring uh, who is going to be offended within reason. I mean, oh, look, yeah. you know, you don't want to just, offend people for no reason and right. insult people that's but that's not funny to begin with mm -hmm. i mean you know um but we should be able to to be creative and we should be able to do it without being so bloody scared that we don't take a chance anymore right and i feel like that's one of the problem areas in our business that's why people watch our movies um because the big guys aren't making them they're mm -hmm. too scared um i don't think you'll see a studio make a hunt club I don't think you'll see a studio make a Wolf Mountain, but for some reason they'll make a Cocaine Bear. Somehow that's okay. <laughs> I I still, you know, I'm watching Cocaine Bear and I am smiling. The B horror guy in me is smiling, and I go, I didn't think I'd ever see a movie like this on the big screen, distributed with Elizabeth, you know, Elizabeth Banks behind. Uh, Elizabeth, watching. she's been she's been crushing it. Good for her. I love her. She's <laughs> yes. crushing it. I mean. I, there was a lot that I, obviously I, I laughed and loved as, as that kind of buff like you um, for these kinds of films. I thought there were some structural issues in that it was a hard time figuring out whose story am I watching? Mm -hmm. um, is it Elizabeth? Is it uh, um, Carrie Russell's right. story or is it the kid's story or is it just the bear and everybody interacting with uh, it was. So I had a little, little bit of a tough time on point of view on that one. But other than that, I had a lot of fun watching that. So, <laughs> You know, I don't care. Cheap special effects, sure. bring them on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, not that that movie was cheap, by the way. I could make thirty movies for that. <laughs> um, well, I, ima I, I, I imagine a lot of the price tag may have been with uh, the talent more so than anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, they didn't have. They didn't go out and get gigantic. That's stars, true. You know. True. Um, right. But they yeah. got very. You know, they got good actors, good mm -hmm. TV names, and you know, Carrie's yeah. great. So, oh yeah, no that, yeah. that that movie's a lot of fun, and and I'm happy that uh you know once in a while we get a wide release like that because then it brings it brings attention to the smaller indie films too I think because people seek that out and then all of a sudden they're like oh what's this just like COVID uh it's funny because I've been covering indie films for like eleven years now mostly and uh, it's amazing how many people discovered films that I was aware of over COVID because studios weren't putting stuff out so people needed content so suddenly they're doing reviews and stuff on films that i knew about like years ago <laughs> these indie films are like oh this indie film is great and i'm like yeah i told you guys <laughs> you know? i love it so, i love it so uh, i thank you very much for this uh your time i know uh definitely a busy uh, guy and it's getting late there but uh where can people keep up with your stuff and what's coming up next, uh, website and whatnot, uh, you know, shill away. Uh, where, where can they find your stuff at? So first off, you can always follow my Instagram at David Lipper. Okay. Um, and I'm constantly posting uh, about the new films coming out, articles and press and whatever. Um, so you can see what's happening there. Uh, I have a David Lipper fan page on, on Facebook. You can sure. check out. And of course, Latigo Films, which we also have our own 
social media page on Instagram. Um, and there's a Latigo Films website, latigofilms.com. So uh, any of those, you can keep up to date with all our films. Remember, Hunk Club just came out. Uh, so it's out on all the TVOD platforms like your Amazon and your iTunes, um, Fandango, uh, <laughs> and uh, Curse of Wolf Mountain will be on the same as of May 9th. Um, and, uh, and the death link you can also watch is on Amazon prime for free. If you're an Amazon prime member, um, and yeah, reboot camp, which is comedy. One of my favorites that's, uh, that's on Tubi, uh, right now. If you want to watch that for free, um, that's not a bad film to watch. Fantastic. Well, everyone check it out. As he said, uh, VOD in beginning of May, you'll definitely want to check this out and all the other stuff as well. I thank you for your time, sir. And uh, hopefully we can get a chance to talk again. Thanks so much, Mark. Absolutely. Let's talk about the next five movies coming up. <laughs> I, would, I would love to. <laughs>